I'm appalled, not necessarily just that this person is anonymous, but there are a lot of people who've seen this president up close who know these things. They need to tell us what they know. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Elsewhere in California on KFOI, Red Bluff Redding, KKRN, Round Mountain, KGOE, Eureka. In Oregon on KYAQ on the Central Coast, KSO in Cottage Grove, KEPW in Eugene. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, WLRI, Maui, Hawaii, KAKU. Columbus, Ohio, WGRN. Palinville, New York, WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan, WPRR, New Orleans, Louisiana, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico, KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire, WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas, KPSQ, Seattle, Washington, KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin, WADR, Minneapolis, St. Paul, AM950, KTNF, and coast-to-coast and around the globe, streaming on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, blanketing the globe five days a week, as usually hosted by Brad Friedman of Bradblog.com. But today, you got me again. I'm Nicole Sandler. I host The Nicole Sandler Show at NicoleSandler.com. And just here for today, don't worry, Brad and Desi will be back in time for the next episode of the broadcast. I knew Brad and Desi would be caught up quickly on all that's been going on. But as is the case for the last, oh, three years, the news cycle never stops. And so I've got a lot of news to catch up on today. Plus, we'll be speaking with Frederick Clarkson. He's a researcher who's been looking into Project Blitz. If you don't know about Project Blitz, well, one more reason for you to stick around. Because basically, it's a Christian nationalist campaign that is operating in conjunction with state legislatures around the country. They are working to take away your religious freedom under the guise of promoting religious freedom. If it sounds Orwellian, that's because it is. We'll get to that later on in the program. But we start with the latest news, and that means the latest on the impeachment inquiry. We'll begin with Friday morning, when congressional impeachment investigators released the transcripts from the testimony of both Fiona Hill, the former top Russia policy specialist on the National Security Council, and Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, the top Ukraine expert on the NSC. All 786 pages of testimony. They both implicated acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney in an alleged effort to press Ukraine for investigation sought by Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani. Fiona Hill described a meeting with Ukrainian officials on July 10th, during which U.S. Ambassador to the European Union Gordon Sundland said he had an agreement with Mick Mulvaney that a White House meeting with Ukraine's president would be contingent on Kiev launching investigations. 
Here's the direct quote from Fiona Hill. Sunland, in front of the Ukrainians as I came in, was talking about how he had an agreement with Chief of Staff Mulvaney for a meeting with the Ukrainians if they were going to go forward with investigations. And my director for Ukraine was looking completely alarmed. Again, that's a quote from Hill's testimony before the three House committees on October 15th. Both Hill and Vinland are reportedly in discussions to give public testimony in the impeachment inquiry as soon as next week. Stay tuned. By the way, speaking of Ambassador Gordon Sundland, here's the guy who donated a million dollars to Donald Trump's inaugural committee in return for his ambassador post. Well, on Friday, and you knew this was coming, Donald Trump said to reporters about Sundland, quote, I hardly knew the gentleman. (laughs) Of course he did. On Thursday night, House investigators subpoenaed Mick Mulvaney, demanding that he testify on Friday about his knowledge of Donald Trump's decision to withhold military aid to Ukraine. Mulvaney, as you probably expected, was a no-show. Now, as the start of the public impeachment hearings approaches next week, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy announced Friday that he has appointed Jim Jordan to the House Intelligence Committee. He'll replace Congressman Rick Crawford, who resigned. Sure he did. In a somewhat related story, a referee has alleged in a new lawsuit that he reported to then-wrestling coach Jim Jordan— sexual abuse by the Ohio State University Dr. Richard Strauss. Yes, the referee says he reported this incident in 1994 in which Strauss masturbated in front of him in a shower after a wrestling match to Jordan directly, but that Jordan largely shrugged off the allegation, simply saying, quote, yeah, that's Strauss. That's the GOP secret impeachment hearing weapon? All righty then. In another related story of sorts, the trial of Roger Stone got very dramatic on Friday as Steve Bannon, the controversial former advisor to Donald Trump and CEO of his presidential campaign, was subpoenaed as a reluctant witness. Bannon, described as, quote, wearing all black, a couple of shirts and a jacket, reportedly told jurors that Stone was an access point to WikiLeaks. The trial will resume on Tuesday, no court on Monday due to Veterans Day. Now, just when you thought the Democratic field of presidential hopefuls was finally narrowing, uh, along comes Michael Bloomberg, the former New York City mayor and still billionaire, reportedly submitted paperwork Friday afternoon to enter the 2020 presidential primary in Alabama. That's the first state with a filing deadline. Although Bloomberg has allegedly not yet made a final decision, he has reportedly told associates he plans to run. Critics note that he spent over $100 million during his last mayoral bid and does have the resources to spend exponentially more on a nationwide campaign. To further frustrate us, The Washington Post's Eugene Robinson tweeted Thursday, quote, I hear from a good source that Eric Holder has been consulting strategists about possibly jumping into the Democratic presidential race. For those who need refreshing, Eric Holder was Barack Obama's first attorney general. And the Iowa caucuses are in February. 
Well, Donald Trump was ordered by the New York Supreme Court to pay $2 million in damages to nonprofit groups as part of a settlement of a 2018 civil lawsuit filed by New York's attorney general against him, his three eldest children, and the Trump Foundation, alleging he used his charity's funds for personal and political means, violating campaign finance laws. The dispute centered on $2.8 million raised by the since-shuttered Trump Foundation at an Iowa fundraiser for military veterans during the 2016 campaign. Remember that? It was when he boycotted one of the Republican primary debates and held this fundraiser for veterans. Yeah, right. Well, Trump reacted on Thursday night on Twitter, arguing that New York's Attorney General Letitia James is, quote, deliberately mischaracterizing the settlement for political purposes. Sure. CNN host Fareed Zakaria appearing as a guest on the network on Thursday, said that he was all set to interview the Ukrainian president. Quote, we had been negotiating with President Zelensky in his office for a while, for months, to try to get an interview with him ever since he was elected president. Of course, once news of the whistleblower's complaint surfaced, he said, quote, it became clear to us that the interview was off. Yeah, think? And finally, a warning is coming November 19th. Yes, A Warning is the title of the forthcoming book by Anonymous. Yeah, it's the same person who penned that New York Times op-ed last year, I am a part of the resistance inside the Trump administration. According to the first excerpts we've seen, A Warning is an appropriate title. Rachel Maddow on Thursday night read a few extensive passages that were truly chilling. Although we thought we knew these things about Trump, it's alarming to hear these revelations coming from someone who was, well, in the room when they happened. Early on, briefers were told not to send lengthy documents. Trump wouldn't read them. Nor should they bring summaries to the Oval Office. If they must bring paper, then PowerPoint was preferred because he's a visual learner. Okay, that's fine, many thought to themselves. Leaders like to absorb information in different ways. Then officials were told that PowerPoint decks needed to be slimmed down. The president couldn't digest too many slides. He needed more images to keep his interest and fewer words. Then they were told to cut back the overall message on complicated issues such as military readiness or the federal budget to just three main points. Eh, that was still too much. Soon, West Wing aides were exchanging best practices for success in the Oval Office. The most salient advice? Forget the three points. Come in with one main point and repeat it over and over again, even if the president inevitably goes off on tangents. Repeat it until he gets it. Just keep steering the subject back to it. One point, just that one point, because you cannot focus the commander-in-chief's attention on more than one gosh darn thing over the course of a meeting, okay? Some officials refuse to believe this is how it worked. Are you serious, they asked? Quizzing others who'd briefed the president? How could they dumb down their work to this level? They were facilitating presidential decisions on major issues, not debates about where to go out for dinner. I saw a number of appointees as they dismissed the advice of wizened hands and went in to see President Trump prepared for robust policy discussion on momentous national topics and a peppery give and take. Those people invariably paid the price. What the F is this? The president would shout, looking at a document one of them handed him. These are just words, a bunch of words. It doesn't mean anything. Sometimes he would throw the papers back on the table. He definitely wouldn't read them. That's chilling, huh? So if Trump doesn't like all those words, it just goes to figure that he likes pictures. 
Yeah. More changes were ordered to cater to Trump's peculiarities. Documents were dramatically downsized and position papers became sound bites. As a result, complex proposals were reduced to a single page or ideally a paragraph and translated into Trump's winners and losers tone. Others discovered that if they walked into the Oval Office with a simple graphic that Trump liked, it would more than do the trick. We might hear about it for days, in fact. He would hold on to the picture, waving it around at us in meetings. Did you see this? Can you believe this? This is beautiful. Something truly special. Dan, he might summon the White, House, White House's social media guru who sits just outside the Oval Office. Dan, let's tweet this out, okay? Here's what I want to say. That way the public would get to share his excitement, too. One graphic that left Trump spellbound was intended to explain certain government and industrial relationships. The basic depiction of interlocked gears, likely pulled from clip art, showed how different elements of the government bureaucracy depended on parts of the private sector. The president was so mesmerized that he showed it off to Oval Office visitors for no apparent reason, leaving us and them scratching our heads. Another time, he became enamored with a parody poster in the style of Game of Thrones, with the words, sanctions are coming, overlaid on a photo of the president. This was meant to be a teaser for forthcoming Iran sanctions. Trump was elated and tweeted the image out to his followers at once, resulting in a cycle of memes mocking the graphic. As angry as I am that this person is remaining anonymous, I think they need to step up and own what they know. After all, the future of our nation is at stake here. And apparently I'm not the only one who feels this way. So Rachel Maddow shared these excerpts on her show Thursday night, and then she brought on Ben Rhodes, who was Deputy National Security Advisor for Strategic Communications under President Barack Obama. And his reaction was nothing less than I thought it would be. Part of what's been so difficult about the last three years is that I don't think that our system ever anticipated like that someone like Donald Trump could become president. You know, mm-hmm. the way in which the, the founders designed the system, the way in which uh, candidates were nominated, uh, someone like this is not supposed to be president of the United States. Uh, I, I don't know how to put it more bluntly than that. Um, the, the gravity of the job is just too much. I would also say, Rachel, I'm appalled, uh, not necessarily just that this person is anonymous, but there are a lot of people who've seen this president up close, who know these things. They need to tell us what they know. There is an election in one year. If this president is allowed to be in charge for another four years, God help us, Rachel. And and the reality is it is getting worse because he's increasingly surrounded by sycophants. He's increasingly surrounded by people who won't listen, uh, uh, who won't tell him what he needs to hear. Uh, And that's just going to get worse in his second term. And so what, what I find really appalling is that all these people who have cycled through, who could tell us what they know, who've been in rooms like the one that that author describes, I think they have a responsibility uh, to publicly say what they know, uh, because the American people have to make a a decision that could affect the future of our democracy, the future of the stability of the world in one year from uh, from just last week. And there are people who, who have things to tell us. Yes, there are. And Anonymous is one of them. So, you know what? Release the book sell a million copies. Apparently, Anonymous will not profit from the sale. Uh, A portion of the proceeds will be set aside for legal fees, should any arise. And the rest, allegedly, are to be donated to freedom of the press organizations. Works for me. But I really hope Anonymous steps up before the impeachment inquiry ends and identifies his or herself 
and goes on the record with what this person knows. Just a thought. All right, we'll take a quick time out and come back on the other side with news about Project Blitz, a national effort (laughs) to promote, quote, religious freedom in the most Orwellian sense of the term. Seriously, this is a project of the Congressional Prayer Caucus Foundation. Oh, yeah, you want to hear this. It's coming up next. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today on The Bradcast. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm your guest host for the day, Nicole Sandler of The Nicole Sandler Show. Uh, Don't worry, Brad and Desi will be back for the next show, I promise. On the line with us now is Frederick Clarkson. He's a senior research analyst at PRA, Political Research Associates, and they've just published an article, a big article, about a new 40-minute Project Blitz strategy call that reveals the latest plans of a Christian nationalist campaign. Fred, thank you so much for joining us today. This is pretty explosive stuff. Well, thanks for having me. It'll be very interesting to talk about. Definitely. Now, you and I have spoken about Project Blitz before. Uh, You've been reporting on them for a while. But for those who don't know about them, explain who Project Blitz is. And I guess in order to do that, we need to first talk about the Congressional Prayer Caucus. Uh, and the Congressional Prayer Caucus Foundation. Foundation. The the Congressional Prayer Caucus goes back to 2005, I think it was founded, and it is kind of what it sounds like. It's it's about 90 members of Congress who get together on a daily basis to pray, but that's also kind of a cover for running a big political agenda in Congress. Um, And the Congressional Prayer Caucus Foundation was was founded by the same guy, former Representative uh, Randy Forbes of Virginia, and uh, they've taken uh, the Congressional Prayer Caucus idea to the states. And so they've been forming prayer caucuses in state legislatures all around the country. Uh, they're up to 38, they say, and they want to have 42 by the end of the year. Yeah. And uh, where my story comes in is that they put together uh, a 140-page uh, package of model legislation best on the, based on the, the best and the worst experiences of Christian right groups from around the country over the years uh, so that uh, their folks have a model legislation to work off of. This reminds me of ALEC. It sounds like just a sort of religious right version of the American Legislative Exchange Council, which was a, a oh, group that... Much so. Right, that wrote model legislation for their members around the country who would take it home to their state legislatures and in many cases introduce the legislation verbatim of what was handed to them. This is the same kind of thing, huh? It is. Sometimes uh, pieces are uh, uh, introduced uh, verbatim. Uh, or, or sometimes they need to be adapted to the way that uh, local, you know, individual states do their laws. Um, so, uh, yeah, they can be tailored to the occasion, and that really is the really is the purpose. Say basically what what the, the big pieces are uh, of those model bills. Uh, they'll introduce softer things like resolutions, like uh, 
or laws to get, uh, say, uh, the national motto, In God We Trust, posted in the public schools and other public buildings. And while that's not entirely new, uh, the Project Blitz Push has made it happen in a lot of states. In fact, in Louisiana and South Dakota, uh, the states actually got aggressive in actually getting those uh, those um, posters posted uh, just this uh, this uh, past fall. Okay, so how long so, has uh, this been going? When did they release this playbook? This was last year? Uh, well, the, the, there was a really early version that I didn't see in 2016. Okay. But I, I saw the one for 2017 and 18. Uh, and the one uh, for 2018 and 19. So it's really just a few years they've been going, but it, the playbook has gotten thicker, and uh, the prayer caucuses have gotten are, are more numerous, and their activities and in terms of uh, legislation being introduced and actually getting passed is increasing as well. It, it's frightening. So you got a hold of a, a conference call, a recorded conference call on Project Blitz that that's just from a few weeks ago. It was October 24th. And in yeah. it, the, the uh, executive director of this group, along with the former congressman, who was the person who you just mentioned, who formed, who, who, who was the founder of the Congressional Prayer Caucus, uh, who's no longer in Congress, but I guess still very involved, Randy Forbes, in this group, they held a conference call with state officials to, what, talk about a change in strategy because the left was on to them? Well, that's right. There were about 20 uh, representatives from about 20 states. There's state legislators, but also state directors of their group and probably some state legislative staff who were on the call. There were several dozen people. And uh, they, they wanted to do a couple of things. One is that uh, thanks to the expose and a lot of negative press coverage and a lot of opposition activity from American Society for Separation of Church and State and uh, many other groups, uh, uh, they've taken a lot of heat, and so they decided to, to duck and change the name. It's no longer Project Blitz, they say. <laughs> They're calling it Freedom for All. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but in fact, Freedom for All, they didn't even use the term Freedom for All on, on, the, on their call. <laughs> they don't mention it on the press site. I know they're kind of stuck with Project Blitz. Right. So, but, but they did keep referring to religious freedom. This is something that we've seen the Trump administration do as well, and this push to allow religious concerns to override civil liberties. That's my interpretation of what's going on. And that's what they're calling religious freedom. And am I off base characterizing it like that? Uh, no, that's, that's part of it. Um, but uh, uh, it, it's also an attack on the religious freedom as we understand it of everyone else. Yeah. You know, whether you are a religious believer or not. In fact, uh, in Minnesota, there was a state legislator, a Democrat named uh, John uh, Marty, who uh, spoke out against the In God We Trust uh, uh, amendment that they were trying to push. And uh, the head of the Minnesota Prayer Caucus, State Senator Dan Hall, went on Fox News and denounced Marty as being part of an anti-faith movement. Now, John Marty is the son of one of the most prominent Protestant theologians of the 20th century, and he's a practicing Lutheran, and all of his family are Lutheran clergy. And John Marty went up and stood up for his faith on Fox News. They picked the wrong guy. Hmm. So this is the tactic we're going to see going forward, and they discuss it on this call, to characterize religious and political and legislative opposition as opponents of faith itself. 
Wow. Okay, so you in this article that's posted at politicalresearch.org, I will post a link to it at bradblog.com, and I'll also have it up at nicolesandler.com. Your article encompasses a lot and, and includes the audio of this 40-minute phone call, which I listened to <laughs> just moments ago, and I got to say it's really <laughs> quite disturbing. I want to play a clip from it. This is Leah Carawan. She's the executive director of the Congressional Prayer Caucus Foundation, right? Right. Okay. So here she is explaining, I guess, why they originally put out the what they call the playbook. And it's sort of tortured logic, but we'll let her explain it. Here we go. The one that I want the legislators to be particularly aware of is the Religious Freedom Measures Toolkit. This worked just the way that you described it, where the legislators came together and said, we have an opportunity, we're getting beat all across this nation as it relates to religious freedom legislation and bills, and what can we do as a nation to combat this swarming and this, these uh, anti-faith groups that are, that are trying to come against us en masse? And out of that came what we, was formerly called Project several years ago at the center of Project Blitz was this Religious Freedom Measures Toolkit, not a legislation saying, here's what we think you should do, but instead a menu of best practice, religious freedom measures and proclamations. Not only did we list 30 of the best practice, but we also categorized them so that you could see which would be easier, which would be more difficult, and then and why, what would be the challenges, and what would be the arguments the other side would use against you, and what are the case studies and the history of this, and what the talking points that we can use and examples, and then what other states are actually have, have successfully put these forward. We wanted to give you a toolkit that would actually be useful that you could pull out and, and, and then cut and paste, and many, many, many of you have used those over the course of the last three years, and, and the uh, Project Blitz is now uh, renamed Freedom for All for the same reason, very strategically. The other side finally caught on to, to what you all were doing and the, and the mass of legislation that was going forth across the nation, the incredible successes all across the nation, and they were scratching their heads saying, what in the world happened? They started talking about Project Blitz, and as soon as we understood that they knew uh, they were on to us, we changed the name, shifted things around a little bit. Now they're talking about something that nobody else has really been talking about, and we've renamed to move on, but it's moving just as strong and just as powerfully. Okay, so that's kind of chilling. <laughs> can, can you can, can you explain what she just said there? Uh, because what I heard was yeah. frightening. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there are a couple of things. I mean, uh, one is that, uh, like, she uses, you know, talk, talking about the, the anti-faith groups swarming against yes. them. I mean, it sounds uh-huh. like a plague of locusts yeah. headed their way. Right. But really all it is is ordinary folks practicing their faith as they see it, you know, taking their concerns in public life into the legislature and, and arguing about them in a civil way, in a democratic way. But, you know, these are cast as, uh, as uh, all the rest of us are cast as demonic, as you can hear in, in this. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, but what they're talking about with the, like, anti-faith uh, legislation, you know, is simple stuff like, you know, marriage equality, right? Or the, you know, access to abortion or, you know, mental health services, you know, for, for gay and lesbian people, and right. so on. So it's, uh, uh, that when they're talking about being anti-faith, they're actually talking about 
you know, the religious and civil and human rights of others to a very large degree. Now, you can see the, see the, the playbook, or what she calls the toolkit, you know. Well, I, we link to it at the Project uh, Blitz uh, Coalition, which is at, at blitzwatch.org. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, it's also linked to it in my article, so anybody can take a look at it and download it and uh, you know, see exactly what she's talking about. Um, and, and these are these are some of the cases that we've heard about over the last few years. Like, for instance, um, I'm guessing that they were involved in the case that went to the Supreme Court about the the cake maker who who famously refused to make a wedding cake for a gay couple. Is this part of that? Well, yes and no. No, in the sense that uh, they're not really involved in litigation. Okay. Uh, it's not directly to my knowledge. Okay. However, the, the implications of that of, of the cake case and, and similar kinds of cases where uh, uh, where they they want to assert the religious freedom to refuse to serve LGBTQ customers and other people that they don't like. There are model bills that address those kinds of issues mm-hmm. uh, in in the playbook. Well, okay. So you you do talk about the since you first exposed Project Blitz, it was about a year and a half ago, um, and and the uh, Congressional Prayer Caucus Foundation scrubbed all mentions of Project Blitz from their website. And as the the or executive director just said in that clip we listened to from the phone call, basically they were exposed, so they changed their name and they're taking their efforts more underground, but they're still moving ahead at blitz speed. And she basically, she said in, in, in plain English, we're, we're moving ahead more, you know, faster than ever before. They're just trying to do it under the radar, but their influence sounds like it's growing. Uh, yeah, I, I think that the, the, the desperation that you can hear on their call is that, yeah, they're trying to take it on the down low. Uh, they, they generally don't engage with uh, critics or reporters. They're basically just sticking, to, you know, playing their game as they see it. But they took some pretty serious hits as people became more aware of them, as uh, Leah Carolyn indicated. But at the same time, yeah, they are they are continuing to play the game their way. They're expanding. They're developing their organizational capacity and infrastructure across the country, as we talked about up top about the expansion of the of, uh, of the prayer caucuses. But also, they're they're recruiting and training state directors, which actually means that, you know, either on a volunteer or a paid basis, I'm not sure which, they actually have coordinators for the activities of the prayer caucus, which would mean both their religious get-togethers, but also running their political agenda. Right. In your article at uh, politicalresearch.org, you talk about another part of the phone call in which participants learned about their new state-of-the-art National Strategic Center. So it's not only a, an organization sort of in the cloud. They actually have a 10,000-square-foot center to uh, coordinate all these activities? That's what they say, and uh, I, I don't disbelieve it. I haven't seen it myself yet. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, they. Uh, I, I suspect what's happened is they... There, there, were, there have been a couple of organizations involved in this, and so they may have consolidated into one space, and that's entirely possible. Mm. The Congressional Prayer Caucus Foundation and the National uh, Legal Foundation, which is a Christian right 
legal group uh, may all be in the same space. Well, what we, my impression from the call is that uh, it's the National Legal Foundation that's doing kind of the legislative analytical work and the uh, uh, and a lot giving a lot of the political and legislative guidance to uh, the prayer caucuses. And and the things that they're fighting for or against, I mean, uh, they're they're looking for religious exemptions to everything from employer mandated, uh, you know, birth control in in healthcare plans to LGBTQ families adopting and things. I mean, protections under the Civil Rights Act. I would think they're they're trying to push through religious exemptions for a lot of these rules. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, all the things you've heard about usually involving court cases, they're seeking, they're seeking uh, to, uh, to make explicit at the state level, which is sometimes possible. Uh, we've actually seen legislation introduced, for example, uh, seeking to exempt, I'm not sure that it passed in, in Tennessee this year, while, you know, seeking exemptions uh, for uh, state-financed uh, religious uh, adoption and foster care agencies mm-hmm. from having to serve LGBTQ couples or, you know, even people, uh, people of the wrong faith. So it's possible so they're actually uh, people were turned away who were Catholics and Jews, for example. Mm-hmm. Wow. This is obviously very disturbing, and there's so much more to talk about. We'll continue our discussion with Frederick Clarkson of Political Research Associates. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today on the broadcast. <laughs> On the broadcast, I'm Nicole Sandler filling in today for Brad and Desi. We're talking with Fred Clarkson of Political Research Associates at politicalresearch.org, who has a new blockbuster report out about Project Blitz and a recording he obtained of a 40-minute strategy call that reveals the latest plans of a Christian nationalist campaign that's growing in organizational resources and escalating rhetoric against opponents of its theocratic agenda. So, Fred, how long have you been working on this story? Well, really, since uh, uh, since the, the spring of 2018, I published the first uh, expose in, uh, in in April of last year. Now, the separation of church and state, as far as I know, <laughs> is is built into the Constitution. Um, we had Donald Trump. Uh, I don't know if it was during the campaign or after railing against. Um, and, and forgive my ignorance on the actual name of it, but he, he was railing against the Johnson. I don't know if it was an actual amendment by Johnson. Yeah. yeah. It's the it, Johnson Amendment named after Lyndon Johnson. Sure. Who introduced it when he was uh, in the uh, U.S. Senate. And, and explain what that's about and what they're trying to do with it. Well, uh, the Johnson Amendment is actually a very simple piece of common sense legislation. It basically means that if you are a tax-exempt organization, uh, whether a religious organization or an arts group or whatever you happen to be, you cannot uh, engage in electoral politics either for or against a candidate or a political party. You can't use tax-exempt funds to promote electoral politics, Mm -hmm. period. Right. And Trump was saying, we need to do away with that. Um, And yet we see more and more 
politicking from the pulpit, which, again, goes against all those laws. Now, I know Americans United for Separation of Church and State, this is one of their big battles. They have joined in this fight against Project Blitz, along with another uh, a bunch of other groups, right? Is there There is an active fight against what these people are trying to do? Well, that's right. In, in the case of the Johnson Amendment, it's interesting because it's sort of a demagogic point. Uh, the Johnson Amendment has not been overturned in Congress, although Trump says it has. Uh-huh. What, what actually has happened is that the IRS isn't really enforcing it. So that's why we see more of the politicking from the pulpit and abuse of the tax-exempt status by religious organizations, usually of the Christian right. So uh, that's, uh, if, the, if, the, if the Johnson Amendment was actually uh, repealed, you know, they wouldn't have, be able to claim as much uh, persecution as they claim. Right. When in fact they're not being persecuted at all because the law isn't even being particularly enforced. Right. So, so you you identify a blitz watch coalition of groups that yes. are fighting this movement, and it is as you portray it a Christian nationalist movement. Explain what that means. Well, it's, uh, it basically means that. Uh, uh, if you are a conservative Christian, uh, many, many of those folks have been led to believe that the, the, it was the intention of God and the Founding Fathers that America be a distinctly Christian nation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Somehow, some conspiracy of liberals and the ACLU and the Supreme Court, well, that's, that's all been uh, eroded, and somehow that, that uh, shining Christian vision needs to be restored, right, and mm-hmm. to implement biblical principles, godly principles in law and public policy of a distinctly conservative evangelical perspective. So it's a way of using the past, a, a mythical past, to justify the contemporary politics. Right. So, But that's, that's not what the Constitution says. And yet, people like me, who don't have religion, I, I, I consider myself an atheist, um, I, I believe that the Constitution protects my religious views, which means don't impose your religious views on me. Yet, more and more, this is what they're doing under the guise or heading of religious freedom. Uh, again, it's this Orwellian world in which they live where they use terms that are completely opposite of what, what they actually mean. Well, that's right. I mean, one of the things that's really remarkable in, in, as we've come to understand Project Blitz and as groups have come to oppose it, and you see this in my article, where you have a, a leading atheist leader, you know, uh, Alison Gill from American Atheists, and Amanda Tyler, who is the executive director of the, of the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty, essentially saying the same thing, that religious freedom is for all, Christian nationalism is a front to the religious uh, freedom of everyone, and American atheists, by the way, stand, understands what religious freedom is and understands the value of what, what uh, they call religious equality, and that is that everybody is equal under the law, regardless of their religious or non-religious views. Right. And I'm glad to hear there's action. What what bothers me, though, is there appears to, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I hope I'm wrong, there appears to be no one, no group in government, no congressional caucus 
fighting against this religious incursion into our lives. I mean, we have the National Prayer Breakfast, which I think is unconstitutional, and no one seems willing, no elected officials anyway, seem willing to call it out and say, wait a minute, we're supposed to have separation of church and state in this country, and it seems more and more... Uh, the the religious factions are encroaching on our personal liberties. Is there any any group within Congress, within our government, that is is working for our you know real religious freedom as opposed to their Orwellian use of the term religious freedom? Well, I don't know if you call it an organized group within government, but certainly within Congress, uh, you know, there are lots of Democrats and Republicans who actually, you know, stand for the kinds of principles that we're talking about. I mean, a couple of members of Congress that stand out are like uh, uh, Democrats, uh, Jamie Raskin, mm-hmm. uh, from uh, who we're seeing on TV a lot because of the impeachment. Sure, uh, you know, from Maryland. Inquiry. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, Stephen Cohen, who's also on the House Judiciary Committee, he's from Tennessee. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've seen them in action, you know, on this uh, in, in, in congressional hearings, and they're terrific. Uh, Jamie Raskin is a former, uh, you know, professor of constitutional law at American University, and he's entirely on point. There are lots of good people and lots of good organizations in D.C. Now, on the prayer breakfast, that's not a taxpayer-funded agency. It used to, hmm. or, you know, it kind of right. used to be. But uh, Barack Obama, to his credit, moved it out of the White House, where it was for decades, you know, and moved it outside to a hotel because he recognized that issue. But he still went and spoke at it and, you know, by his participation, endorsed its existence. Uh, yes, but at the same time, when he went, he faced withering criticism yeah, from, uh, from uh, other people. Ben who, Carson. You know, stood right next to him on the dais and, and, you know, took him down as far as they could, including Ben Carson. Right. That was Ben Carson's entree into the political world, and it launched his uh, <laughs> failed presidential bid, but it, it paved the way for him to become unbelievably the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, a position that he still holds, which is shocking yeah. to most of us sane people out here. And it's all this religious fervor. Uh, look, I, I think we can all look at Donald Trump and say this is a man who who never had religion until he found politics, and then all of a sudden he's Mr. Religion. And it, once again, we saw just last week a really disturbing photo that I believe was taken in the Oval Office of all these religious entities laying their hands on him. Um, To me, that's disturbing. Is it as disturbing to you as it was to me? Sure, and that that happens a lot. Uh, I mean, mean, Donald Trump is a con man and a a showman, right? And a lot of the people, the religious leaders around him are as well. You know, not all necessarily, but many are. And they're going to go with the Donald Trump gravy train. But the thing that I think is most helpful to, for listeners to keep in mind is that the Christian right, and, and you were getting at, at, at this earlier, Nicole, and that is that they're, they're well organized, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They actually have you know, organizations and plans and different kinds of events, you know, and uh, on a scale that uh, everybody to the left of the Christian right just has not even bothered to try. Uh, and again, that I'm glad you mentioned Jamie Raskin and Steve Cohen. But you, you, again, Fred, you singled out two members of Congress, which is not a, a coalition by any means inside. And I understand if members speak up against this religious 
insurgency, a term that I just came up with, which may or may not work to explain what they are. But I want to see a more concerted effort saying, wait a minute, religion does not have a role in our governmental process. Um, According to the Constitution, it doesn't, yet they keep inferring that it does, and it keeps encroaching on the rest of our civil liberties. Um, I, I'm glad you again. I bring up the the Blitzwatch Coalition, which you say comprises nine religious, secular, and civil rights organizations, including yours, PRA, American Atheists, Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, Freedom from Religion Foundation, the Interfaith Alliance. I know earlier in the article that we mentioned you do single out Americans United for separation of church and state. These are groups that are fighting for our religious freedom or as the Freedom From Religion Foundation says in their title, from their encroachment. But but again, I, I worry that there's no concerted effort within our elected government um, fighting this incursion. Should there be? Should there be a faction standing up to this? Well, absolutely. Uh, I think it could be organized under the idea of, say, religious equality. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the idea that uh, that the government needs to be the neutral guarantor of the rights of all. Right? To believe as you will or not, and to change your mind as often as you like. You know, and that it be irrelevant to your status as a citizen. Now, those are the principles that you know the, the framers were all about. The First Amendment's all about, and and the best of our judicial you know, uh, heritage has been all about, and to uh, for people to really get their minds around that in Congress, but hey, in public life as well, both our secular and religious leaders could and should do better on this. Absolutely. We don't see any Democrats, not a single one, in the presidential field talking about religious freedom from the standpoint that we're talking about, and it's also not even present in the Democratic Party's platform. Right. In fact, I think Beto O'Rourke, who's now withdrawn from the race, but he came under fire for talking about the fact that, uh, you know, churches and mega churches, these organizations that have popped up everywhere, who do insist on politicking from the pulpit, should lose their tax-exempt status, and the right went after him in a big way. Is anyone else going down that line? Is anyone else proposing, um, you know, taking away tax-exempt status from these so-called churches that impose their political beliefs on their members? Well, churches can impose anything they want to, and they have their right even while they're a tax-exempt status. Hmm. They just can't engage in electoral activities, ah, right? I see. And the existing law, this brings us back to, to, to the old Johnson Amendment, right. we, the laws are already on the books. The regulations are already in place. Anybody can go to the IRS website under tax-exempt organizations and see what the rules are. It's not hard to find. And that uh, uh, basically what really needs to happen is for there to be sufficient political will for the existing laws and regulations to be reasonably enforced. And that's what uh, one of the things that Project Blitz, even though they're using a different name now ostensibly, is fighting against our right to say, Hold on a second. You're encroaching on my religious freedom by allowing a a group to discriminate against a gay couple trying to adopt a child that encroaches on their religious freedom. Does that make sense? Well, you know, there's a a vast amount amount of, uh, not that it makes any sense, at least to me, in terms of values that I hold and, and that most Americans actually hold. You know, the idea of how do you respect people's uh 
people's religious freedom when they hold oppositional views, right? Right. I mean, that's the challenge for the rest of us in a democratic, pluralist society. Here are people who are opposed to uh, uh, respecting the rights of all and are looking for ways to get around the civil rights laws. How do the rest of us deal with that? How do we respect their right to believe as they will but, and to speak with their minds but not actually... Uh, successfully interfere with the rights of others. And that is like the core challenge of, of our democratic society. To get our minds around that will probably have everything to do with uh, the future of religious freedom and democracy in this country. Absolutely. And that's why this article that you've written, uh, Frederick Clarkson, is so important. It's called Project Blitz by Any Other Name. Strategy Call Reveals a Shift to Stealth Mode Amid Escalating Rhetoric. And um, it's it's chilling to listen to this call and hear the magnitude of their organization, which exists to push this Christian nationalism on the rest of the nation. Uh, Again, I encourage people to read the article. Uh, Again, I'll link to it from bradblog.com and nicolesandler.com. And, um, and listen to the recording of the phone call because it is it is chilling. That's that's the first word that came to my mind is listening to these people talk about imposing their religious beliefs on the rest of us under the heading of religious freedom. Again, a, a very Orwellian term, which is the the exact opposite of what it sounds like. Well, that's exactly right, and it and it is chilling. And you know, sometimes it's hard to. It's hard to believe that these things are going on, you know, partly because, well, they're stealthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't want you to know that these things are going right. on. That, that's part, part of their method, and, and it's smart. So you know, to, to be able to see, you know, hear in their own words and to see, see in their own words, you know, if, you, if you look at the, at the Project Blitz playbook that we link to, you know, you, you get a, a much clearer sense of what's going on. Uh, because there are many similar bills, you know, introduced all around the country, but you wouldn't know that many of them are connected to Project Blitz in the first place, right. unless you're familiar with the stuff. So is that the takeaway from your from this article, from this investigation, that you want people to understand how organized they are in trying to push this agenda through? Um, yeah, and even though, you know, people may say, well, that's shocking, that's extreme, that's horrible, who could possibly take it seriously? Well, they take it seriously, mm-hmm. and they're, they are, you know, part of the broader Christian right, which remains the best organized faction in American politics. That's why they're stand, laying hands on President Trump in the White House and occupying major cabinet posts like Ben Carson. It's because they're good at what they do. Wow. I got one last question for you that really isn't addressed by this article, but it's perplexing to me, although I think I understand the warped reasoning behind it. Again, as I said earlier, Donald Trump is a man who's never had religion. I mean, look, I'm an atheist Jew, and I knew when he stood up at Liberty University and talked about two Corinthians that he was so out of his league that I'm amazed he wasn't booed out of the room, yet they embrace this guy. Is it just because he's willing to to bend over to let them push this agenda on the rest of us and, and he'll go along with whatever they want and that's why they like him? Well, the short answer is yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's a transactional politician. He right. may not be a good businessman, but mm-hmm. he does believe in making deals. And the deal he made with the Christian right was that he was going to deliver for them if they would support him. And it was really almost that simple. And, in fact, he has delivered for them. By any reasonable view, he has delivered for them better than any previous president and maybe all the previous presidents combined.
You know, in past years, decades, I was part of the group, the, uh, I think a majority of people who believed that although Republicans constantly railed against Roe v. Wade, that they never intended on actually overturning it, that it was for them a great fundraiser, a great wedge issue, something to you know motivate, get out the vote, um, but never thought they would actually take it so far as to uh, try to repeal it. Uh, that's all changed now. It, 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 was I right in my original beliefs, or have they always had this as a real goal? Well, for Republican politicians, you know, it's it's one thing. You know, mm-hmm. they, they have to say what they need to say to get elected, right. and sometimes do what they need to do to stay there. Uh, but yes, you're right. Things have changed uh, with the current complexion of Congress and the Supreme Court and the presidency. Uh, yeah, Roe is in real serious danger of being overturned, and uh, uh, I, I think the, it, it, it's actually highly likely in the next few years. Uh, barring in, in, any big surprises, right? And if, so if, uh, that's if, where we are, and, it, and it's because it's because the Christian right is the best organized faction in American politics. So, my, well, I mean, why word everybody? I've been beating, <laughs> beating this drum for a long time, and that is, people need to recognize that it's not the Christian right is not any crazier than anybody else, right? Yeah. And they are actually, you know, or if they're so crazy, then how come they're winning? And I think people really need to have the light bulb go off over their head and begin to make the personal and organizational and political transformation it's going to take to uh, uh, to preserve democracy and reproductive freedom and LGBTQ civil rights. And it's going to have to be a multifaceted, comprehensive uh, civil rights uh, and equality agenda to recognize that this is a theocratic political movement and they're serious. So what, what should we be doing in response to y- your investigation, this article on Project Blitz, and hearing this recording and knowing what we're up against? What should the average progressive Democrat be doing right now? Uh, well, a lot of things. One is to you know, read a book, you know, <laughs> to, to, to learn what's been going on, and, uh, and to begin to get the kind of vocabulary that you and I are using here so we can actually even begin to talk with one another in a coherent way to develop good strategy. Now, one thing that people often don't quite get, and even as we talk about the danger of theocratic political movements and the threat to civil rights of this and that, and that is that the, the key to their strategy is to use the tools of democracy to undermine it. So they actually, you know, uh, are registering their people to vote. They're recruiting uh, people to become activists and activists to become candidates and candidates to become officers, you know, office holders, who then will use the Project Blitz playbook to run the table of their agenda. Wow. Uh, And I guess to question the people that you're thinking about voting for, what their position is on this and to get their assurance that they'll fight back against these kind of so-called religious freedom laws that are anything but. Well, indeed, but also to get ourselves mobilized in fresh ways. You know, in 2016, 100 million people or, you know, who were eligible to vote, mm-hmm. you know, Didn't. who were either registered yep. or not registered but eligible, did not participate in 2016. The Christian right knows that, and they have, you know, a game plan to find their kinds of people within that hundred million and bring them in, and our side does not. It's astounding. All right, well, there's our uh, challenge here 
to to get organized. And maybe part of it is embracing some of these organizations involved in, as you call it, the Blitzwatch Coalition. Uh, from American sure. Atheists to the Freedom From Religion Foundation to the Interfaith Alliance. So thank you for exposing this and and bringing it out to the forefront because it's an, a really important thing that we need to be talking about. Well, indeed, and all the aforementioned groups, uh, you know, among others, you know, have... Uh have uh, local and state chapters. There are places to actually plug in and be involved in the issues that uh, that, that you're concerned about. I mean, political Research Associates is a think tank, and we can always use subscribers and, and contributions. Uh, but also just to to use our our materials. You know, this included uh, just to gather good uh, good intelligence and analysis and and vocabulary for taking uh, taking it all forward. Got it, uh, Frederick Clarkson. Again, the article is Project Blitz by any other name. Uh, again, it includes the audio of this 40-minute phone call that is uh, disturbing, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Uh, thank you for writing this. Thank you for taking on this subject and, and getting it out there. That's the important thing. I hope people will share this conversation so everybody knows about this organized effort to, uh, again, change the, the power of religious, of, of the Christian right in this country to basically take over. Um, you know, that's one thing that the founders were very clear on, is that we are not a Christian nation. This is a nation where we have religious choice, where we have religious freedom. And they're trying to, in this Orwellian fashion, use the term religious freedom to impose their religious beliefs on the rest of us. And we can't let that happen. Well, that's exactly right. And, you know, thank you so much, Nicole, for having this conversation and, uh, you know, helping us all to, uh, to, to engage in this. We, uh, we're, we're in a precipitous moment in our history, and I know that kind of thing is said a lot, but it really is true, and we all know just need to watch Donald Trump to see that it is true. Oh, yes. Uh, Fred, thank you so much. It was great talking with you, and I really appreciate your work. Well, likewise, Nicole, and we'll do it again sometime. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Bradcast. Brad and Desi will be back for the next edition of the Bradcast. In the meantime, I'm Nicole Sandler. Thank you for spending the hour with me. I hope you'll check out my show at NicoleSandler.com. Listen anytime at your convenience. There's no paywall. Until next time, as Brad likes to say, good luck, world. Everybody wants to move.